Let us begin with a reign of terror. Because we're talking about The Invisible Man today. Uh, probably the best line of the movie. Probably uh, the best monologue. I mean, there's what, like five, six monologues in this movie? Five, six amazing villain monologues going on in this movie. And Claude Rains is selling every single one of them. What is your favorite villain monologue? Because I, I, I really like his Reign of Terror speech. Me too. I think that's probably the top monologue of the movie because, I mean, let alone, that's a great line. But I mean, he just goes on and on about murder and, you know, derailing a train and explosions. It's just All like, it takes is these invisible fingers around a single signalman's throat. And it's so theatrical. And just showing how truly gone he is from the person that he originally was. Oh, yeah. That we don't even get to meet. That That's the thing. We only see this character after he's already broken. And we're only seeing echoes of a good person. Yeah. And even then, I love how he's so maniacal. How he's so, so crazed. He, he is in another... He's on another plane of existence through half the movie and only sometimes comes back down to reality. It's a wonderful performance. So this week we're talking about The Invisible Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome uh, <laughs> to the Film Clip Podcast. I'm Miss Boo. I'm Dean. And yeah, we're talking about our Monstober movies. Yes. And today we're talking about Dean's favorite universal monster film, which is... The Invisible Man, 1933, directed by James Whale. Starring Claude Rains, Gloria Stewart, and this is the third James Whale film we've done on the podcast. The second one this month, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think it's the best universal monster film of this era. This early, like, 1930s mm-hmm. era. Because Wolfman's, like, 41. Yeah. Black well, Lagoon's, creatures like... Creatures in the 50s. It, yeah, it's like, it's like early 50s, right? Yeah. Like, 52, 53. Somewhere in there. But... With this one of this early 30s period, we have some of the best actors in the film. We have probably the probably the best special effects in the films. Definitely. And I think we... The tightest story, or the most, like, direct one. Because H.G. Wells, the original novelist who wrote the book that this mm-hmm. is based on, was alive and had full script approval to make this yeah. happen. And I think that really pushes through the fact that oh no we are watching the actual invisible man story on screen we're not watching what james wales thought was cool on screen like he did in like frankenstein yeah which don't get me wrong there's some cool stuff on screen oh definitely um but no explosions in this movie except for the train yes (laughs) but i mean no windmills no castles blowing up Uh, we do see a barn catch fire we do yeah (laughs) Your action quota is being fulfilled here. It is, just in a different way. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I really dig this film, and I've I've seen a lot of the Invisible Man remakes, or mm-hmm. the quote-unquote remakes, like Hollow Man, the, the Invisible Man from 2019, 2020. Uh, I've seen, like, Memoirs of Invisible Man with Chevy Chase. There's a lot of Invisible Man movies that keep getting made and i've seen a lot of them and this is still probably the best one it's funny oh, um, it's very classical i i really love the performances in it i mean of the invisible man yes this is the very best uh the 2020 version comes in absolutely at second because i mean that one was just phenomenal but it that was a that was a great movie yes on on its own it was a really good movie I feel this one is the best adaptation of that story yeah. we could have gotten. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. So, um, yeah, so The Invisible Man. How did this movie come into being? Lots of different ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, James Whale, he is coming off the blockbuster success of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carl Lumley Jr., he's basically the, the grandfather of Universal Monsters at this point. Yes. He's like, Dracula made money, Frankenstein made money, Mummy made money, M- Mummy. Mummy money. The, the, mon- the Mummy made Mummy Mummy. And um, he's like, look, I got the rights to this new Invisible Man movie. We can make it cheap. The guy can- doesn't even have to be there. He's invisible. It'll be so easy to do. 
Turns out, not so easy to do. Not even a little bit. And um, he's like, look, I'll get the golden boy, James Whale. He can do these. He can work this weird technical style. Fine. We'll have him come on and he'll make the movie for us. James Whale, he made Old Dark House. That wasn't a big hit. He made a few other films that I don't think they were bonds, but they underperformed. Mm -hmm. So he went back to the well, decided to do Invisible Man. This was kind of a direct for hire gig from my understanding. I don't know how much he was really involved in fleshing out the film. Mm -hmm. But you can see a lot of him in the movie. Like that German expressionism, how a lot of the shots are put together, a lot of the shadowing. But this is also where he figures out how to do compositing that you see in Bride of Frankenstein later. Yeah. And just the amount of work that it takes to composite all these scenes. And it's done by hand. So it's just... Yeah, a lot of work for this one movie, but it's still, you know, a, a well-regarded movie loved by so many people. Yeah, a lot of it's regarded because the effects in the film are insane. Yeah. They hold up to this day, and this movie was made almost like 100 years ago. It's like 90-something years old. Yeah, and I mean, the effects are still trying to be figured out by people, and you know, well, how did they do this? And it's like, we know to an extent how they did things. But it's flawless when you see it all together. Well, the thing is, is it's so crazy. Because we know how they made the movie. But the thing is, is like, well, how do you figure that out in 1933? Exactly. In a, an era where, you know, okay, talkies are fairly new. Um, King Kong just came out and that's where they really combined stop motion, compositing all at once. And there's no Google. You can't, you know, research, hey, did someone figure out how to do this trick? And let me see if I can recreate that. Or that person has a great idea. Let me see if I could come up with something and, you know, make it better, make it look, you know, cooler. No, th these people had to just get together and sit there and, you know what? How do we get a, a book to float across the room and not look cheesy? Yeah. How do we hide the strings? Yeah. And that's a lot of the movie, to be honest, because I think that's why the movie is so remembered. I know as a kid, that's why I watched it, because it was like watching a magic trick. Yeah. Because you're watching, you know, how how does the magician cut the woman in half? Like, mm -hmm. what's going on? Or how is the magician making the, the rabbit come out of the hat or float the deck of cards? How did he make her disappear? How did he make her disappear? Watching The Invisible Man is like watching a magic trick. And it's yeah. like the magic of cinema. That's a good analogy. And and that's why I love the movie. It's this movie that's just like, no, cinema's magic. And figuring out the trick, it's almost like you don't want to know how the sausage is made. You just want to enjoy it. And I enjoy the film so much. But with magic tricks... You do want to know how the trick is done, but at the same time, I don't because I want to be, you know, astonished every time I see it. Yeah, and The Invisible Man, as a film, I think that's why I think it's the best universal film. It's the best magic trick. Yeah. It's the it's the most movie magic film of these movies. But coming from the early 30s. Oh, absolutely. Uh the only one I think could fight it uh, granted i think king kong's probably another one just because of how many effects they put in the movie how they were able to integrate them all at once mm -hmm. but i i watched king kong leading up to this and uh invisible man is a much better movie oh yeah <laughs> much better story than king kong rewatch king kong for anybody out there it's it's an uneven film i'll put it like that but the invisible man do you want to tell people what it is, broad strokes? What is the back-of-the-box synopsis? Well, I think you got the back-of-the-box in front of you. Since you're, you know, collecting boxes. It's getting really crowded in here. Amazon keeps sending me VHSs of uh, of these movies, and I'm just writing down the back-of-the-box. Well, well, you gotta share. I love VHS tapes. No, it's, it's just the VHS boxes. I'll take the boxes. I don't care. Ooh, fancy. I can get rid of some boxes. So... Here is the synopsis, what, what you will read on the back of your VHS tape of The Invisible Man. We have, a mysterious stranger arrives in a small English village, but his strange behavior disturbs the locals, and when they try to arrest him, he reveals that he is completely invisible, and once his secret is revealed, he goes on a rampage with a goal to bend the world to his invisible will. And 
you know, comedy ensues. Because this is a funny movie. My god, this is probably the funniest Universal Monster movie. Yeah, and that goes to James Whale, because he casts his regulars. Una O'Connor is in this, and she is giving her best performance. She's a riot. And I mean, I love that she's in this movie a lot more than she is in The Bride. Yes. I mean, we get her for just a little bit, but in this movie, she's pretty much there in the cast throughout. The oh, movie. yeah. She's in, like, the whole first half of the movie. In Bride, she's in the first, like, five minutes. But even towards the end, when he returns back to the village, she's part of those scenes, too. So it's like, good. It's, you know, I'm glad to see her. But, I mean, yeah, we don't stick to just one location in this movie. We kind of move around a lot. Yeah, and we're bouncing from the village to the laboratory and then we are starting to bounce to Kemp's Manor. And there, there's a lot going on here. And I think it's a really good juggling act. Especially when you're adapting a work and the author is very forward about, no, 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 you're adapting my story. He did give concessions. Like, he's like, you don't have to adapt everything one for one. Yeah. Like, in the book, the Invisible Man's like a straight up communist. Like, that's his, that's his crazy ideas. It's like, hey, everybody, you ever thought of, like, universal health care? Like, that's the Invisible Man's, like, crazy <laughs> shit. He wrote the book in, like, the 1880s. But, besides the point. So, the movie really starts in earnest on this very mysterious note with the stranger, the Invisible Man, coming into town. Trudging his way through the snow. And it's like such a cool image because you look and it's like, is that a set? Is that is that town really there? Is that a miniature? And it's another thing where Wales famously shot most of his movies on sound stages, and and, and the Universal backlot. So this is shot, you know, in the same area as the Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein, in Dracula, the, yeah, fucking in, Wolfman, in the little Europe uh, section of the park, and you were able to tell it from different scenes. Like, oh, okay, that's the same, you know, from this one, this one. But it's just interesting to you know see him kind of pull up on this town. And, I mean, he's just rude right off the bat. Oh, but I love that so... I love that so much because the first time we ever see Dr. Griffin, you know, the Invisible Man, is he's in all these bandages and he's just like, I want a room with a fire and I do not want to be disturbed with a private sitting room. And they're like, all right, dude, what... Fuck, whatever you want. Everyone in the bar is terrified. Yeah, and they kind of bring up like why are you in bandages and he's like i was scarred horribly in a in a lab accident and I'm here everyone for thinks quiet. you know oh he's a, a robber a murderer he escaped prison and he's just you know concealing his identity only to learn oh <laughs> exactly because he's there and he's trying to come up with a solution to try and like turn himself visible again yeah and on the other side of that we have the other like cast members we have gloria stewart she's playing flora and she's oh the the jilted lover of the invisible man because he's disappeared in the night he didn't even say goodbye and do you want to talk about gloria stewart real quick you mean rose from titanic uh, the oscar-winning actress gloria stewart yes who wasn't a fan of horror movies uh, I, I think she was a fan of uh, uh, Titanic melodramas. Yeah, but in this movie, it's interesting to see the relationship between her and Jack, because most of the movie, he is just this, you know... <laughs> I, I just of... realized that. To, to yeah, yeah Gloria Rose Stewart's and... relationship with Jack. Yeah, yeah Rose okay. and Jack, yeah. yeah, yeah I just, I <laughs> it just, took you a minute there? I just got that. Uh, this movie's nerd. been out for 33 years, for like 90 years, and I just got that. You're welcome. Yeah, keep going. Um, you know, we see Jack, and he's just this kind of deranged, maniacal person at this point. Mm -hmm. We don't know him prior to him taking this invisible serum. But whenever him and Flora are reunited, he slips right back into, you know, the lover. And, you know, I love you so much, and I'm trying to do this to, you know, protect you and let me figure this out. And they don't really get to have their happy ending. Yeah, but I think that's the good parts of Gloria Stewart's performance because she is the anchor by which Claude Rains' Jack Griffin is able to come back to. And not completely lose his sanity. Yeah, because don't get me wrong, Rains doing the, the mad, you know... Mad scientist. Mad scientist, the maniacal you know, invisible man 
That's a lot of fun. Yeah. He's he's going for the cheap seats. When he's like threatening his uh um comrade uh Dr. Kemp, it's like, "Oh, I love all the villain threats, mm-hmm. all the monologues. It's so good." But we don't know him as anything other than what Flora thinks of him. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah, because uh who is it? It's Kemp, uh his partner? Yes, yeah. Kemp is in love with Flora as well. Yeah. And it's very much, you know, you see, he's been gone. I'm here. I'm a constant. Pick me. And it's just like, no, I want Jack. And Jack's kind of, Jack's a little crazy right now. I'm like, I don't think you want him. Uh, and at the, by the end of the movie, she can't get either of them. But No. But as the movie is kind of pushing along because we get introduced to Flora and Kemp because they're trying to figure out what happened to, to Jack. Why would he, he just go? leave, you know, this randomly and not tell us and not write? And and about this time we figure out why he left. Yeah. You know, when the he gets mad at Uno O'Connor for forgetting the mustard and ruining his experiments. And that's when we see, you know, for the first time he's missing his mouth and Una doesn't catch it. Yeah. She just sees the bandages and assumes... You know, he must have, you know, done something and he's in hiding and he can't be trusted. And it's just, you know, seeing him sitting there at the table, it's just like, wow. And like, I know how that effect is done, but it still holds up. It doesn't look cheesy. Oh, yeah. And I I just want to jump to this because she gets mad, calls the cops, cops show up, and he starts taking off the bandages. Yes. And... This here's a, a souvenir. Here's a souvenir for you. Take a nose. Take some gloves, too. I wish I could do the laugh. It's such a crazy laugh. He has a great laugh. I swear to God, because I've seen Claude Rains in, like, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Casablanca, Notorious, and it's weird because it is his voice. Yeah. Like, he is actually, like, that's him speaking, but he never sounds like that in anything else. No. And his laugh, it's... It's so unsettling because it's this weird high pitch. It's like a witch's cackle. And it's it's one of those things where the movie's not, you know, scary, but it makes my, the arm on my hair stand up when he starts laughing. It's really weird. Yeah, I, I really feel bad that in, I think it was 2018, we missed at Horror Nights. They had like the tribute to the monsters maze where it was all the monsters mm-hmm. and they had his section of the maze and they had the scare actor in the robe, the bandages, the glasses with his laugh playing over. And they had him like in a black light. So, you know, he really looked like he did in the movie. And oh, it was just okay. like, that would have been something to, you know, actually physically experience it and see it with your own eyes versus seeing it on the TV. And I mean, just getting the chills from that, but being able to be immersed in that. That, again, that's one of those things where the iconography of these universal monsters mm-hmm. is really the thing that people hold on to. Like, it, the movies themselves are, are good. A lot of them are pretty good. But the iconography and the Invisible Man, it's that voice. It's that laugh. It's the voice. It's the bandages. It's the glasses. He has a very iconic look. And it differs between him and his coat and his hat mm-hmm. versus him and the, like, the smoking, uh, the robe. smoking jacket, and you're just like, I'm waiting for the cognac to come out. Seriously, I mean, he looks like you know, yeah, I'm invisible, but I'm here to have a good time. Yeah. But that's the that's what's going on because he takes all the stuff off, and we have the first image of, oh, so how the how the fuck did you make him go away? Yeah, because it's not a thing where it's he's like, all eaten away. He's all eaten away. Yes, that's that's the line of the mm. movie. Because he's taking off the bandages, and you're looking for, like, you know, where's where's the wire? Yeah. Where's the where's the trick? Where's the smoke and mirrors? And it's a real... And really what it is, it's a very simple process we've done in film for years, but they go so hard in it that... How the fuck... So they have to composite him in front of a screen, film the whole scene without him there, then film the screen scene with him there, and then film the screen then like imprint the composite on top of it so he disappears and it's it's so weird and convoluted and it's fascinating to see it done it's just layers on layers just kind of like how he is yeah he's layers of bandaging and clothing and accessories and eventually there's nothing there 
Yeah. And they're able to achieve it and it doesn't look weird or fake. It looks like he has, you know, disappeared. Yeah. And, you know, he does the disappearing act. He then goes on his invisible rampage, his reign of terror. That is my favorite scene of the movie. When he just has a invisible man temper tantrum <laughs> and wreaks havoc in the town. He steals a guy's bike. And he then he kicks a guy in the bum. He's like, take that one. And how about this one for you, too? No, I love when he returns the bike and throws it at three men. Yes. Like, or, you know, hello, Grandpa takes his hat off and puts it back. <laughs> or he throws it into the river. Uh, and, and that's the thing. The Invisible Man temper tantrum is, again, revealing more about Jack Riffin's character. Because, okay, he's somebody who, for all intents and purposes, is is all powerful. Like mm -hmm. he can do whatever he wants, no consequences. No one can see him. No one can really stop him. That and what I understand, he's a pretty strong guy. The serum's making him stronger, but it's also making him more deranged. Yeah, because we get that reveal when Flora and Kemp finally come across what Jack's old experiments were. Well, it's actually um, Kemp and Cranley, Flora's father. Oh, that's right. When they find like a, it's like a list of his chemicals that he was working with in his lab. And I don't remember the name of the chemical, but they talk it, about. It's fucking um, unobtainium <laughs> for all we care about. Yeah, but it's this thing where um, it basically takes the pigmentation out of colors and that they had experimented with it before but a consequence of, you know, everything losing pigmentation and affecting the body, it also affects the mind. And we're seeing it that... It drives you absolutely mad. <sighs> and that's what we're seeing with Jack, you know? That's why I'm like, you know, he comes in and he's rude to, you know, the staff of the Lions Inn. And then it's just, he's just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, he's... At first he's like, okay, he's a little rude. And then he's trying to do the experiment and he's, and he's so... Um, put off he's like i'm i'm smart enough to turn myself invisible but i want to go back i yeah. want to be visible again because that's where where the real genius is mm -hmm. you know it's like again like a magic trick yeah everybody's stunned that you made the woman disappear but they're impressed when, when the woman reappears mm -hmm. exactly and that's the movie in a nutshell because that's what he wants at first yeah. and then He's like, well, if I'm the only invisible man, then I'm the only one with this power. And he starts getting power hungry. And that greed sets in. And it's, it's palatable. And that's, you know, what he tells Flora, you know, because in the beginning, it's, you know, we're reunited after I've been away for over a month and I've missed you so much. And it turns into, well, I could hide amongst the police officers and laugh in their faces as they look at me. I could travel anywhere. I could be, you know. Right here next to you, I could be, you know, across the country, the world. And he tells Glory, or sorry, he tells Flora this, that, look, once I figure out the the formula, I can sell it to the military. Think about it. An entire army of invisible men. And it's like, oh, you don't want to do this for any altruistic reasons. No. It's pure greed. Yeah. And I think that's a, another layer on this character, is he's greedy. He's egomaniacal. The formula, yeah, it makes him go a little mad, but I think what it is is just revealing his character. Now that we can't see him, now we see what he really is. He's not a good man. He's He was just only a good man because consequences. And I, that's it's a story of human nature. And he even has his own Robin Hood moment when he goes into the bank. And yes. takes out the, what is it, the... Um, the cash drawer. The, the drawer, yeah. And he's like, free money, free money for everybody. And everyone's been warned about the invisible man. And they're like, well, we're supposed to stay away from him. But money. free money is free money. Free money is free money. What I also liked about this film that kind of differs from the rest of the Universal Monsters is the hysteria is more widespread. Yes. Uh, we get, you know, broadcasts and people are locking their doors and there's, you know, don't trust, you know the air beside you because he could be right there and it's just this fear this paranoia yeah it's not you know oh it's just this little town this little village that's being affected it's you know spreading across across the country yeah it's different than frankenstein where it's just isolated to the little village this is is starting to feel like oh this guy could be anywhere because he's invisible you can't tell where he is he no. can get on any train and you'll never see him and speaking of that he derails, like, a train. He has the yeah. highest body count of any universal monster. Yeah, that was impressive when I saw his body count. I was like, my god. Yeah, and 
even the thing where... Uh, look, I'll back up real quick. Because before he goes on his big rampage, he goes on his temper tantrum, and then he goes to Kemp's house because he's like, I need a visible person to be my patsy, you yeah. know? I need somebody to talk for me because, you know... I can't be invisible and doing speeches and shit, please. It's, it's kind of like The Simpsons when uh, Mr. Burns needs a patsy and Homer's, hello, and he goes, yes, hello, hello, but I need a patsy. Hello, yes, I know, hello, goodbye, you know, this. <sighs> uh, but, I mean, Kemp is, like, the worst patsy because he's just like, I'm terrified. Yeah, because I think Kemp realizes something that Flora doesn't, is Flora saw the good, kind Jack, the the one who, who loved and doted on her, what Kemp saw was the obsessive scientist. He saw the the guy who would do anything to get what he wanted. Yeah, and well, I mean, that also goes to Jack's character. He's being manipulative with uh, Flora, where it's mm-hmm. just, I know when to turn it on and make you think, you know, I'm still that loving, doting man that you've missed, you know, versus... All right, Kemp, let's get back to work. We got a lot of shit to do. You know, uh, I, w- I want to take over all of Europe by Tuesday. And it- it's already Friday. And it's not, I just want to take over. I want blood. I want to cause mayhem and terror and horror. And it's just... And that's another level of this is he's, he wants to create this reign of terror. And he's so happy of the fact he can just do whatever he wants, kill whoever he wants, hurt whoever he wants. For no real endgame? He's not really trying to get more money, more clout, more power. He just wants to exert his control over everything. Yeah. And Kemp, played by um, William Harrigan, is doing a really good performance here because I really get the sense that he is just unnerved and shocked of everything going around him. Yeah. And there's no one in the room. And he's playing against literal nothing, which I know a lot of people say it's like now acting has gotten worse because so many actors have to play against nothing, against nothing in a green screen room. And this guy, it's 90 years ago. And he's, he's really selling that there's somebody in the room when there's no one there. Yeah. And I mean, the the slightest inklings you get to somebody being in the room is, you know, the, the other chair being adjusted, a log going onto the fire when he lights his own cigarette and he's just sitting there and he's like, you know what? I can tell that you're frightened. Let me go put on some of your clothes so you feel like you're actually talking to a person. A person. And I I love that that moment of Kemp wanting to call the police, mm-hmm. but he's still not sure if Jack left the room. Yeah. And he just sits there and stares at it for a minute and he doesn't move. And it's like that paranoia, I love that paranoia. Yeah, and I mean, it flows through the rest of the movie because he could be there. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter, you know, what scene you're in, is he there? It's like, you know, you're looking at just about everything to see, you know, okay, what's going to give him away? Yeah, are we going to see, like, a puff of breath? Are we going to see maybe a shimmer? Are we going to see something move that should move? A footprint. And with that scene, you know, the cops show up because Kemp finally manages to to sneak away just enough to call Flora and the doctor and the cops. He's able to get people there. Yeah. And Griffin, you know, this is where he finally meets Flora. And we've, you know, we've talked about it so far where he's able to turn on the charm. Mm-hmm. And even then when he turns on the charm, he's still like, Flora, don't worry. The moon is afraid of me. I can do whatever I want because I'm Claude fucking Reigns. <laughs> and the cops show up and Griffin's like, Kemp, I want you to know something. 10 o'clock tomorrow night, you're fucking dead, homie. The cops can't save you. No one can save you because I'm Claude fucking Reigns. And that I was like, dude, you don't reveal what time you're going to kill the guy. You know, oh, you know what? After I go destroy this, after I set this off, I'll be back at 10 and I'm going to, you know, chaka-chaka you. No, no, he has to do that because that's Babe Ruth at fucking home plate pointing out to the middle bleachers. That's what Griffin is doing right now. Or Sandlot with the great Hambino. Exactly, the great Hambino. And it's so good because after this, you know, we get more of his reign of terror. Yeah. Him blowing things up, him hurting people, him basically showing, like, as an invisible man, there's no consequences to any of your actions. And if you had no consequences and you could do anything you wanted... Yeah, people are kind of shitty. They will go crazy. Well, that and also, who hasn't wanted to be invisible just to, 
you know, observe and be a fly on the wall. Yeah, you fly on the wall or honestly, like, you know, take an extra 20 bucks, you know, or like, you know, take a candy bar or something. No one can stop. You don't know, see it. It's just a cool thing. Just sneak around, get into places you're not allowed to normally get into. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Boo sneaking into into Fork Knox and uh, movie theaters, getting free movie viewing experiences. No, but, it would just be advanced screenings. Like, uh, yes, didn't have to pay for a ticket. Mwah. Yes, our, our crimes as invisible people are very low bar here. But we get to the point where Griffin is kind of showing off what he can do. And yeah. that's why he's killing Kemp. And I think for the audience, this is showing that not only can Griffin do whatever he want, no matter what the cops do, he's also completely removed from his humanity. Yeah. He's going to kill a friend. He's going to kill, you know, somebody who moments ago, he said, you are the only person I trust enough to be my like disciple. And now it's, I don't need you. It's like, it's like, you know, screw our history, how long we've known each other. You're out. And it doesn't mean anything to me. Exactly. And we see that when the police try and save the day. You mean when they play the biggest game of Red Rover, Red Rover? Send an invisible man right over? <laughs> yeah, they all hold their arms together. They get nets out, start walking around in circles. They get they put loose soil atop the wall so they well, can Well, that's at the police them. station. That this is at the police station. That's at Kemp's house where everyone's playing Red Rover. And, you know, people are getting pulled up by their feet. They're getting kicked in the butt. Yeah, and it's, it's great because, again, Griffin is showing off. I can do whatever I want. You guys... Your attempts to stop me are irrelevant. Yeah. And finally, Kemp gets, you know, they try to pull the bait and switch. They take him to the police station to draw the Invisible Man there. But what they secretly send him out the back door to his back to his house so he can escape into the into the mountains or whatever and yeah. just escape, you know, scot-free. And Griffin's, you know, reveals once Kemp gets in the car, he's about to drive off into the night. And he's like, Kemp. I've been standing next to you for hours. I've been with you all day. I was with you when you got in the car and drove off. (laughs) I rode the running board the entire way. I sat next to you as you changed. I've seen everything. I know everything. And now, you will die. Mm -hmm. And again, supervillain laughs somewhere in there. Yeah. The the monocle and the pinky finger. Yeah, it's over. (laughs) And he ties up Kemp. He puts him into the back, into the front seat. And he says, well, Kemp. Fuck you too, and sends him down a goddamn cliff, and into a fire explosion. Into a fire explosion. I love the miniature effects in this because some of them look pretty fucking good. The train the actually, train, yeah. actually, the train kind of stumped me for a little bit. I'm like, that's a really big miniature. Yeah, because I I watched this with um I watched this with somebody else, and when they saw it, they were like, did they derail a train? Is that, is that a real train? I'm like, I don't know. It looks pretty fucking good. No, it's a toy train. Probably a toy train. Yeah, Hopefully I mean, it's it, a toy train. It looked like... Um, James Whale, method director. Derail the fucking train for me. No, it, it looked kind of like um, the train sequence from The Addams Family, the 90s one. Oh, yeah. Where Gomez has his toy trains, and it's like, you get low enough and up on it, it looks like a real train. Uh, and It's like in Starman. Yeah. Where the train wasn't real, it was like a miniature, and we were and like, the- oh, the <laughs> I know, I was just sitting there like, huh? Like, my brain? Just like, what? (laughs) Again, going on to the fact that there's a lot of really good effects in this movie. But, like, Kemp's dead. Griffin is now wandering around in the woods, you know, and he's doing, you know, the the Invisible Man skipping around like a a raving lunatic. Oh, when he takes uh, the police officer's pants? Yeah, because you gotta steal some pants, right? Yeah, and he's scaring that woman up the street as he skips. (laughs) Which, again... He's only doing it to be a dick. Yeah. And I think that's why I love him so much. He's a, he's an unabashed asshole and it's great. But um he finally takes refuge in a barn. And you know he, he's got to sleep. He's got to sleep. He's naked. It's cold. He's chilling in a barn. Snow falls and we get into the climax of the movie where the police, you know, finally have him cornered. They track him down to the barn. They're like, "All right, men." We're going to light the fucking barn on fire. We'll smoke him out. And it's like, okay, you're going to light this poor farmer's barn on fire. Yeah. And the farmer's like, but my barn. And they're like, shut up. We're kissing this one, man. 
And they light the barn on fire, and Griffin comes out, and he's like in the snow, and you're able to see his footsteps. Which, again, another really good effect. Yeah. And it's so simple. They're just pulling little slots underneath, like, a, a soundstage, which, again, really fucking cool. Yeah. Because, you know, it's all asbestos, as far as the eye can see. And he's walking out, and they finally shoot him, and he falls into the ground. And they're like, we got him, boys! We shot ourselves an invisible man! Whoa. I mean, the fact that you're able to see his body print in the snow, too, is pretty cool. It's, again, there's a lot of really good practical effects in that. And it's, and a lot of them are so simple. It's the magic trick of cinema. I love this magic trick. And we get, like, the emotional climax. You know, Griffin's, he's about to die. You know, the Invisible Man's about to to pass on. And then Flora's there, and she's like, oh, Jack, please don't go. Never let go, Jack. Never let go. You you still trying to wrap your brain around that? (laughs) She won an Oscar 60 years after this movie. 65, 64 years after this movie. Still loving Jack. Still loving Jack. Yeah, Woman lived to be 101 years old, and she she won an Oscar and was an Invisible Man. It's good good shit. Um, so she is, you know, telling Jack, you know, please don't go. I love you. And he's like, Oh, Flora, what madness has taken me? If only the door was just big enough so we both could fit. I know, right? Oh, bleh. And he he dies, and we get the effect of him becoming visible. Which I didn't understand when they they tell um. Was it Dr. Cranley that, you know, okay, he's passing. There's nothing we could do. But before he passes and when he passes, he'll be in physical form again. And it's like, well, how is that the solution to the serum? You have to die and then you're finally restored back to your original version of yourself. We're dealing with some black magic here. Let's just be honest. (laughs) That's why I was just like, what? Like, how would you know that? This shit is magic. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Cranley says, you know, I only heard about this because I read it in, you know, a German science book and, you know, it was just random stumbled upon it. And then this yes, doctor... Yes, it, it was bound in human flesh and written in human blood. Yes, it was the Necronomicon. That's why I read about this. Man, this movie just has tie-ins to so many other movies. So many. This, this is the Rosetta Stone of uh, a film history. <sighs> but yeah, so we finally get the reveal and we finally find out, oh, the Invisible Man was Claude Rains. Oh, neato. And a brunette. And a brunette. I thought a blonde. Yeah, what a thought a blonde. Blondes do have more fun. Mm. And he has a lot of fun in this movie. He does have a lot of fun in this movie. And actually, I got a question for you. So, you know, he has a lot of fun in this movie, but what's the what's the movie about here? Yeah, I, I know you hate when I ask you that question. <laughs> but um, I, mean, I don't hate it as much as I used to. Because, I mean, you used to really lob it at me. And I'm like... I don't know, you're like, really search your soul for the answer. And I'm like... What, what's it mean, man? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't make it. I didn't write this. And I think it's, you know, what you were touching on earlier about, you know, really giving yourself over to greed, corruption, power. It's, you know, basically telling you don't do that because you're really giving in to the worst parts of yourself. And that's what we see with him where he's going from this kind of scared nobody can see me place to I'm loving this and I can, you know, hurt so many people in this form mm. versus, you know, I got to fix what I just did. This is bad. It, do you think it's a like absolute power corrupts absolutely play? Do you think it's like, I, I think along so. There? Yeah. Okay. I see that in the movie because so much of the movie revolves around Claude Rains's performance which is a great performance. I mean, that man that we can't see yeah. just keeps you captivated. And, and that's why I still lob this as the best performance of the original Universal mm-hmm. Monsters cast. Because you can't see him. He's not... You can't... You never see his face till the end. A lot of it is just, like, his voice. Yeah. And a lot of it is... Yeah, there's some effect shots that hide him. Or the even, like, at best, he's completely covered head to toe Mm -hmm. and the acting quality of that is being able to sell the audience on this performance without them ever laying eyes on you yeah which is so impressive and when you do finally get to lay eyes on him it's for just like a second yeah before the credits roll uh the person i watched this movie with um was my uh randy's girlfriend Cielo. yeah uh her comment was as soon as she saw you know claude rains like the reveal like yeah oh that's that's what he looks like 
she was like, man, he got a fine, though. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Cielo. I mean, he's an attractive man. You know, he's short English gentleman, but yeah. I, I just want to throw that out there because there's like the funniest fucking thing well, to end the movie well, on. Well, that and you know, you usually ask me, you know, is that man attractive? And I have to be the one to tell you, yes, me and other people, you know, find this person attractive. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I don't you don't l- see him for most of the movie. You know, you know, you know, you got like three, you know, 15 seconds to go on. Yeah, here. you know, I, I'd like to see my men a little bit longer than that. <laughs> But yeah, so that's just, it's just a funny thing that happened when I was watching I'm not the movie. surprised either. That sounds like something she would say. Uh, but, and and also, talking about the movie being kind of funny, because the movie's funny. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no like, you know, oh, the subtle thing ended up being funny. Like, no, it's legitimately a funny movie. Yeah. I mean, lots of things happen. I mean, let alone... Um, the whole Una O'Connor crying over mm. her hurt husband, and her, and her husband, who has like the head wound, is like... Oh, please shut up. He's like can constantly like drinking, drinking and tr- plugging his ears as his as Una O'Connor is like, oh, no, please, Henry, why? Mm. And she's just crying and wailing behind him. And he's like, you're making my quiet. headache worse. And it's it's like a funny it's like a funny bit that you see reused a lot in like the 40s, 50s comedies and shit like that. Well, I mean, even um, what was it? The chief detective. It's the one that thinks that it's just like a whole conspiracy theory. Mm. And he's like, you know, everyone's going to laugh at you. You know, this crazy town, you know, spreading this conspiracy theory. And it's not till the end of this town hall that he's basically getting everyone's statements of the days. And he's just like, you know, coming up with, oh, well, you're drunk. Well, you're drunk, too. And it's like, my God, you know, who isn't drunk in this town? The, he, the guy's like, yeah, the, my bike got pulled right at my hands, run down the road. And mm. he's like, how many you had to drink? Only like four. Mm-hmm. You were drunk, sir. Move on. He's like, I wasn't that drunk. And then, you know, we get to the end of his investigation. And he's like, you're all mad. And you're all, you know, conspiracy theorists. And then the invisible man that just can't take no for an answer goes and throws the ink in his face. He's like, ha, I was real the whole time, you fool. Get fucked, nerd. Mm-hmm. Rolls off on his bike. Skips away on his, you know, gathering nuts in May. But that's, and that's the thing. The movie has all these moments where if they if you can get a gag in about him being invisible, do it. You know, I mean, him basically just like razzing people. I mean, even for when no reason. the search party when they're all out on this hillside looking for him and he throws the first person down the hill and you're like, "Oh shit." Like, did anyone notice that? And then people do and he goes, "Oh, do you want to join him?" and throws another guy down the hill. And he's like, "Anyone else?" And I'm like, <laughs> like are are we turning to like 300 here? You know, he's going to start kicking people off the side of the hill. Yeah, and, and it's a thing where it's like, oh, that's like horrifying. Like, he's killing all these people. But because the movie is so, like, old school about it, there's no gore, there's no, no like, blood, there's no, like, no one actually looks like they're being hurt. When the Invisible Man is strangling somebody, they're doing the whole, like, rah, 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 yeah. and they're like, making funny faces and grabbing at, like, their necks. I mean, the only blood we see is um, the owner of the, the Lion's Inn. When he gets thrown down the stairs and he cuts his his forehead, I'm and, like... And he's playing it all up for comedy. But, I mean, I'm even surprised that they were able to show, you know, that much blood under his bandage. I'm like, okay, I'm like, that's a little, a little different, because at this time the censors were very, you know, we don't show nothing. Well, this is 34. I don't know when the like the um a movie association board like the whole um haze code thing got into real full effect where it was really hammering down. I think that was like a year or two later. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that because because it came about because like movies started getting a little little too wild in yeah. the twenties and like they were starting to becoming like really weird in the thirties and then they got cracked down on. But, yeah, there's some things in this movie that tell me that it's probably a pre haze Code era movie. I mean, for one, the fact that Griffin dies at the end and it is a very sad ending for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, considering in The Bride of Frankenstein, they have to have a happy ending. And it's like, no, you don't have to have a happy ending. This movie doesn't have a happy ending. Oh, yeah. Like, what's the ending? Glor- or Flora is left completely alone the man she was in love with is dead her other suitor is dead like uh griffin who yeah was a monster killed a bunch of people 
he has zero redemption arc. He's driven mad by his own ego. And Camp, whose only sin was... Loving uh, Flora. Loving Flora, and he, he gets killed. It It's a movie that I think really works because of how just, like, downbeat it is. Yeah. And, uh, and again... The movie as a whole, I think you're right. It is this message of absolute power corrupting, absolutely. I think it's also a story of, like, human nature. Mm-hmm. Once you, once people are removed of their inhibitions, they're able to show who they really are. Once you are, be, once you are unseen, then you could... Truly be yourself. Truly be yourself. Truly show who you are. It's like the whole thing about the anonymity of the internet. Yeah. You know, everyone's um, everyone's an asshole when they have the screen of the mm. internet in front of them. Yeah. You know? And I feel that's a lot of what this movie's talking about. And it's like, again, I think that's something that's been used a lot in literature, film, storytelling. And that gets brought up a lot in all the remakes of this story, this film. Because mm-hmm. that's the universal theming in each iteration yeah in hollow man invisible man memoirs whatever you want to call it it's wow when you're able to like be unseen then you can really show off who you are yeah and i wanted to to bring that up because why is it that this movie keeps getting remade because there's a bunch of invisible man movies oh yeah there's a there's probably a new invisible man's been every 10 years um i know there's like ones in the 80s ones in the 90s there's a few in the early 2000s we had a very recent one in 2020 in 2020 which now every time you google the invisible man that that's one, what pops up. that's what pops up so this movie's getting harder to find it's um, on peacock it yeah it's on peacock i would i recommend it but why do you think that this movie why do you think that this movie and the story keeps getting remade? Because it's fun to do. I mean, technology is getting better, so there's new ways to bring this character to life mm. and to make him even more sinister than he is in this movie. So it's just fun over over round to just kind of, all right, let's bring the Invisible Man back, but what is he going to do this time? Mm-hmm. How many people is he going to affect this time? You know... Is, you know, he able to be, you know, redeemed? Which, no, you yeah, can't. Yeah, you can't, that, that can't play. No, because, I mean, can you imagine him finally, like, okay, I'm I'm ready to be me again, and oh my god, I killed so many people and I've done so many horrible things. I can't ever live with, you know, knowing that I've done this and impacted so many people. Yeah, I think that is, I think that is an issue with the character of the Invisible Man, as he's been portrayed in a lot of these films, is... Once he's, like, invisible and starts going mad and killing people, he can no longer be a sympathetic character. Mm -mm. You can't have an ending where he turns out to be the good guy. I mean, they do do that in one of the sequels to this, the invisible agent, where he's an invisible man, but he's, like, a spy for, like, the war effort. The the Invisible Man sequels aren't actually that bad. The Invisible Woman's just a lot of fun. That one's just so campy and so weird. I love it. It is the exact. It is the perfect magic trick for a movie. And I, I love mean, it, and I love watching the trick. I mean, you said what that you hadn't watched it in a couple of years. Long time, long time. Probably last time I watched it was high school, so that would have been ten or no, no. I, I've been out of high school longer than that. Jesus Christ, probably like fourteen years, fifteen years, probably something like that. I'm surprised. I mean, as lo- as much as you love this character and talk about the book and the movie, mm-hmm. I would think that this would be, you know, on your list of yeah, you know what? It's been about a year. Let's rewatch it again. Uh, well, I don't rewatch that many movies. Yeah, that's that's like a thing that's different between like you and me. Is like I don't go back and rewatch movies that often. Like my memory is shit. Like I can't I can't remember what I had for dinner yesterday. But for some reason, movies, I have a really, like, good memory. Like, I, we can do this when we're done. But you can go and, like, just pick a movie off of my shelf, mm-hmm. sight unseen. And I can probably give you a pretty decent rundown of the movie if I've seen it in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Like, The Bride threw me because... Bride and Frankenstein threw me because last time I saw those, I was, like, sub-ten years old. Invisible Man, I can... I could probably beat out the movie off the top of my head before we watched it. Yeah. 
So, but that's like why I don't rewatch movies so often. But man, I really should rewatch this movie more. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I miss going back to the magic show. I think you should rewatch it. But what are we watching next week? <sighs> next week is the end of Mox- Monstober. October. Say, well, I was gonna say October, which technically is true, but Monstober's coming to an end, and I thought, what would be the perfect way to culminate everything that we've talked about this month? So we are going to be watching Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Ah, the uh, we talked about a lot of horror movies that had a lot of comedies. Now we're going to talk about a comedy that has some horror stuff in it. Yes. I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen an Abbott and Costello movie. You've I, never seen this movie? I don't think or I've Or any seen... Abbott and Costello? I don't think so. Who's on first? Well, I know that bit, but I have no uh... idea the cont. I know that who's on first bit. That's a great bit. Love that bit. But I've never seen what that is in context. I don't know what movie that's from. I don't know what show that's from. I've seen bits from Abbott and Costello. I've never seen a movie they've been in. At least I don't think. We're we're gonna find out next week. For all I know, I've seen the I've seen the whole, their entire canon, and I just don't remember. Talking about that steel trap. This might be a sub ten year old memory for me. I mean, this is Dean's go to shtick of you know. Oh, you used to watch this a ton growing up. Nope, never seen it a day in my life. I sat there with you as you watched it. Wasn't me, it was another child. That's Singing in the Rain for me. My my mother says to this day, I watched Singing in the Rain like every day when I was a little kid. I have zero memory of that movie. There, That movie is a blank space. I can't tell you what it's about. I can't tell you a song in it. I can't tell you nothing about that movie. I have zero memory of it. Well, this movie is going to kick your ass because it is so much fun. There is um, a couple of classic Universal monsters that make an appearance in this film. Other than Frankenstein. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm excited. Yeah, it, it, it's a good time. And I really hope you enjoy it. But uh, if you want to listen to any of our other episodes and listen to us on a different platform, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yes, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube, where you can like, comment, subscribe, and watch us as we release a new video every week. But if you wanted to keep up with our social media, you can go to... Uh, The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, trivia, upcoming episodes, and just our adventures. And with that... We'll see you next week at The Film Club. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.